Unnaturally Savvy, we only take sponsors that we believe in. We know they have good quality products that are good for you. Uh, this month we are sponsored by, I hope I say this right, uh, Wakunaga of America. They're the makers of Kyolic Aged Garlic Extract, Kylodophilus Probiotics, and Kyo Green Powdered Green Drink Mix. All naturally healthy solutions to support your well-being. Kyo means strength. You can learn more at www kyolic.com that's k-y-o-l-i-c and now more than ever not only do we need to strengthen our emotional health we also need to strengthen our physical health so i mean i'm a garlic fanatic so i'm super excited it's a great product hi i'm lisa davis so glad you're listening to naturally savvy radio it is very stressful right now covid19 we're homebound there's a lot of pressure I can only imagine how stressful this must be for new moms. When you're a new mom, you want to have people around. You want to have family around. You want to have someone hold the baby so you can go to the bathroom for half a second. You, you just need that time. And I've just been reading a lot about how this can really take a toll on a mother. And, and being a mother myself, I can completely imagine. So I'm thrilled to have Alain Barrera from the Blue Dot Project. We're going to be talking about maternal health and postpartum in times of COVID-19. Alain Barrera, PhD, is a California licensed clinical psychologist with a specialty in working with Spanish-speaking and Latinx communities. Her scholarly work is focused on depression, prevention, intervention, adaptations, and the use of technology to deliver, deliver maternal mental health resources. Uh, Dr. Barrera, welcome to Naturally Savvy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Tell us about the Blue Dot Project. Sure. So the Blue Dot Project um, really is a campaign to raise awareness of uh, mental health disorders, and in particular um, with pregnant and postpartum women. And the Blue Dot itself, which is a robin's egg blue, was created by Peggy O'Neill Nosti, who herself dealt with postpartum anxiety um, during uh, her pregnancy and postpartum with her third child. And so that blue dot was really created as a symbol of solidarity, um, as a way for whoever wants to support and campaign and really just come together together to combat any of the stigma and shame that is often experienced when, you know, pregnant women and new moms experience, you know, sadness, anxiety, and all of the things that we don't really, unfortunately, talk about a lot as part of maternal health. Oh, wonderful. I mentioned earlier, I said maternal health. I meant to say maternal mental health. Uh, for me, I kind of felt like I was in sort of a forced quarantine because my daughter at a very young age, and if you listen to the show, you know some of this, so I'll keep it brief. But she was uh, on the autism spectrum and had some other issues that we didn't know about. And she was extremely sensitive to her environment. And if I took her outside and the wind touched her face, she would cry. If I took her to a grocery store, she'd be up all night crying and screaming. She wouldn't nap. She wouldn't sleep. She was so hyper overstimulated that, yes, we could have people to the house. But it was really hard to bring her out into the world. There was a lot of misunderstanding. People thought I was just making things up. It was really, really stressful. And she's 15 now. And I still look back in those years. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that was so hard. I didn't have postpartum, but I definitely was sad because I wanted to be able to go out and do things. And I knew that there was something going on with her. So I'm thinking about these COVID women now who are kind of in a similar situation, except they can't have people over, which is big, in that they're just sort of stuck at home. So what are you seeing, Alin? Yeah, you know, one of the things that I think that's been really hard, especially, is that this is definitely 
um, not what many women and their partners and families expected um, as part of the whole, you know, there's the whole like what to expect when expecting. This was definitely not uh, on that list or even near it. So I think that's one of the biggest things that um, in some ways I feel like has, you know, shattered or disillusioned or caused us to feel um you know, disappointed a little bit, I think, in the process, because there's so much um, expectation of family coming together, um, of just really rejoicing in the birth of this new baby that we've been so anxiously awaiting for and really planning for. And then for a lot of uh, new moms, it's also, you know, it is an anxious time, you know, it's a time of uh, changes in your role, your expectations, and learning all kinds of new skills, and not to have that support that you had maybe counted on or actually need has been really difficult. So a lot of our moms are, are isolated. I mean, they're home with their babies and, and their partners and if they have other children and whoever else is in their household. But I think also on top of that is just the uncertainty of how things are going to move forward. Um, I think as a new mom or you know anybody who has a newborn baby is always concerned about the well-being and the health of the baby. And so even more so now, you know, even going out for a walk, um, even though a lot of the recommendations have said it's safe to go out, you know, you have a brand new baby whose immune system is still building, you know, and so there's a lot of anxiety, just typical new mom anxiety. And then on top of that, all of these things that are happening now and the things that we're hearing in the news and kind of adds to it. Um, and then I think also, you know, a lot of the, um, you know, hospital policies for some areas have changed. And so, you know, mothers and, and partners have had to make decisions on who they choose to be in the hospital, if at all. Um, for some of the, the women who might be bedridden or maybe have more complicated births, um, in some places their partners are not allowed to come into the hospital. So it's also isolating. So just seeing a lot of, you know, like, this is not what I expected <laughs> type of <laughs> things. And, you know, really, you know, some grieving over not being able to just be with other moms, you know, and just to share that new experience, you know, there's, you know, often going to parks or, you know, whatever you might um, have done before or had planned to do just to be with your friends or family who have small children. Um, that's been really difficult. Um, and then I think the other thing that I think has been really difficult that I think any mom or any uh, parent whose home can relate to is just being at home with children, you know, a lot of children. And if you have a newborn, um, in addition to older children, I think that's been really challenging for a lot of uh, parents in general. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's hard enough having a newborn, but then if you have other children you're mm -hmm. trying to tend to and they can't go out and they can't see their friends and you can't have people over. I mean, that's just a really stressful situation. For sure. I mean, I think of, um, I have two children and I remember when my second child was born, uh, my in-laws were here and I said, all you have to do is entertain the first one, the oldest one, you know, and just to be able to have that peace of mind that, you know, while you're tending to a newborn, for example, or the youngest child that, someone is giving attention and stimulation to your older child. And a lot of new moms don't have that right now uh, because of, you know, safety concerns. You know, on top of that, there's a financial stress. There's a lot mm -hmm. of people who aren't able to work. For sure. Yes. Yeah. And single moms too, mm -hmm. right? I yes. Mean, it's yes. Tough. Yeah. Single moms and, you know, depending on, you know, your type of occupation, um, you know, it's really impacted a lot of families in different ways. I mean, I think that they're, have been, you know, some programs to try to help support them financially or with food programs or childcare. But, 
definitely, um, you know, I've seen a few articles in the news, just how women um, in general, uh, given some of the occupations that women hold, um, have been kind of squeezed out of whatever opportunities for economic growth or any sort of support, um, given the types of jobs. But definitely for our single moms, it's been really challenging, um, you know, where do you, even if you can go to work because of the type of work that you might do, um, the the resources to for childcare may not be available to you, or the resources that you had relied on before may lo- may no longer be available. So that's a huge stressor for sure. Oh, definitely. And then the stress of bringing home COVID to your baby mm-hmm. and your yep. other children. Yes, for sure. That there's always that risk as well. So there's a lot of concern, you know, a lot of um, women will say, or just in general, parents will say, you know, well, maybe it's not worth it, right, to go to go out, uh, because I don't know what I'm going to be bringing home. And obviously, no one wants to bring it home to their family. Um, but in, in some cases, many families don't have an option. And that's really, really difficult. You know, COVID-19 is really pointing out disparities that have always been there. Uh, Mm -hmm. for black and brown communities and something I've talked about for years. And I still have people being like, oh, I don't know about that. And I'm, you know, hitting my head against the wall, but I try my best to stay calm and -hmm. to educate folks. And I think it's so important. I'm wondering, uh, I'm assuming you see these disparities in terms of mental health. And also, I know that you work with, uh, you've worked with, you have a specialty in working with Spanish speaking and uh, Latinx communities. And I'm curious in terms of, is there more of a stigma than you've seen in other populations? I know that sometimes it's different that, you know, I'd love for your opinion on that. Yeah, well, I think um, in general, I think that there is a greater stigma around mental health. Um, whether it's maternal mental health or just general mental health. Um, unfortunately, you know, if I think about even, um, you know, working with Latinx or Spanish-speaking communities, there's still even less information. It's less talked about, um, you know, just in general, in the general society. I think, you know, the... Um, so to me, it's almost like a cultural stigma in a way. You know, there's a, there's sayings that people still believe and still see, you know, like if you say, oh, would you like to speak to someone about how you're feeling that a lot of times the immediate response is I'm not crazy, you know, and that's really unfortunate. And and I think that's widespread and it contributes to this. I think especially um, when we think about, and this has just been my experience, when we think about maternal mental health, you know, tied into your role as a woman, I think culturally, is this sense that, you know, motherhood is, is a role that's really tied closely to your identity as a person. Um, and so to, to not be able to manage, as sometimes we're not able to when we're not feeling emotionally well, just like when we're not feeling physically well, um, really uh, speaks to your ability to, you know, are you, are you able to hold up to your role as a woman? And so unfortunately, we do see that still. Um, in the culture, um, you know, Latino women are not uh, the only ones. There's lots of cultures around the world, even in our country. All of our, you know, different communities have different views around mental health. Um, and I think especially during the maternal period um, when we just don't talk about it. So definitely seeing the disparities there, I think, given, you know, what we're experiencing currently, um, the disparities and how, you know, COVID is impacting um, are different communities of color and especially women of color who often have um, essential jobs per se or jobs that, um, you know, like a lot of the women that I work with, they don't have insurance, they don't have, 
um, you know, maybe they're not documented. And so they can't get, you know, government support in these situations. So I think, you know, definitely you're seeing these disparities uh, more upfront. It's not that they weren't there before because they were there before. And um, it's just that now it's really, um, it's almost like it's coming up to the forefront even more so. You know, Dr. Barrera, when I was reading earlier in the show, your bio, I thought it was interesting. You, t- I, you mentioned the use of technology to deliver maternal mental health resources. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So um, part of my interest in psychology and, and most of my clinical and research work has really been about how do we make um, our evidence-based interventions and information available to as many people as possible. Um, you know, I always say that people you know, when prior to COVID, people weren't knocking down our door to come, you know, please let me come to therapy. You know, that does happen in some communities, but in a lot of our communities, especially our communities of color, um, we don't have providers. Um, There aren't any resources. Um, There's a lot of stigma. If we think about the Spanish speaking community, which is what I'm most familiar with, we have a shortage of bilingual, bicultural clinicians, Um, And so unfortunately, a lot of um, people are are without uh, any sort of mental health resources. Um, I also have an interest in in thinking about how do we culturally adapt these evidence-based interventions to meet the worldview of of individuals from different backgrounds. And so when I was introduced many, many years ago to the idea of using technology as a way to reach more people... Um, I thought that was really interesting and just kind of began to explore it. And just through some of the projects that I did online and, you know, like 10, 15 years ago, realized how much we could reach people much more easily. And so to me, in some ways, the use of technology is one way to break down um, the barriers that sometimes exist. I mean, nowadays, you know, almost everybody in almost every part of the world has some access to technology. And in some communities, and some communities here in the U.S., some of our communities, even though they may not have a lot of resources, financial resources or otherwise, they have access to technology. And in some communities, that they rely on that technology to stay connected and not only to, um, you know, maybe their work or to, to something that might be like their bank statements or whatever it might be, information, but it's also a way for them to stay connected to the people in, that they care about, their families. Um, it's the only way to stay connected sometimes, you know, through different apps or different, you know, digital platforms. So it really became clear to me that in some ways technology could be a way to deliver and to, um, provide information around psychological resources. I mean, if you, if, you know, so for example, one of the things that I've done recently is, um, you know, I think because I'm focused on preventing um, as a way to try to reduce the incidence of maternal mental health disorders, you know, one way that I think is really important is to educate. And if I can educate pregnant women um, about some of the biological, emotional, psychological changes that sometimes happen during pregnancy and the postpartum, I would love to be able to give that information to them without having to wait for them to actually be experiencing that and then needing to get the information. So if I can preempt them with, hey, this could happen to you. And if it does happen to you, this is what you can do. It's treatable. Here's where you can get help. And so if I'm sending that through a text message or it's online, 
almost everyone is looking at their phones all the time, going online, and no one's questioning what they're doing or why they're doing that. It's just part of our culture nowadays. And so, you know, if I can send a text message to a mom every two days saying, hey, you know, this is what depression looks like during pregnancy. Or if you engage in these behaviors, they might help you feel better. And it takes 30 seconds to read, right? Um, It just kind of plants the seed um, so that they know what they're doing and no one's going to question it. And it's just a way to get them information and a way to provide them resources. So that was sort of the idea around the use of technology. I personally, as a clinical psychologist, love and prefer to be in person with people. And nowadays, you know, on a some sort of video conference platform. But, you know, if I, if, you know, if that's not an option, because maybe the agency doesn't have the resources to hire a clinical psychologist or mental health providers, or maybe they're in a location where there aren't any, or there aren't any that speak that language or are familiar with the community, then at least it's some way for them to get information. And nowadays we tend to search whatever our questions are online all the time. It's, it's almost like the go-to, you know, you have a question, look it up online. So exactly. Right. And that's how we do it. And, you know, pregnant women are interested in information, especially when it's your first pregnancy. We're very curious about, you know, three weeks and two days, three weeks and three days, you know, what's happening with my body, what's happening with my baby. And so women are seeking information. So to me, that's an opportunity for us as health providers, as mental health providers to create this information and make it available to them um, so that when they do find that information, it's based on evidence, it's based on expertise information. It's based on resources that are actually available because there's a million. I mean, if you ever just type in, you know, postpartum or pregnancy or anything like that, there's so many websites Um, (laughs) and many of them are very good, but many of them are not that great and they're not that accurate. And, you know, so if we as health providers can really design those things, um, I think that we would be, you know, helping a lot more women. I think so too. I'd also like to talk about that what you talked about earlier in regards to women feeling like, you know, being a mom maybe is such a big part of their identity and they feel like I shouldn't be having these thoughts toward my baby. I shouldn't be feeling this way. And there's so much shame and guilt mm-hmm. and, and that's what's so tough. So you have the stigma of mental illness in general, and then you have this added stigma of feeling like you're a failure. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about that and what you've seen. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, and I think that happens regardless, right? I think, you know, we often say there's no manual for how to be a mom. I mean, there's lots of books that will tell you what it's going to be like, um, or what to expect and what changes you might expect. But at the end of the day, everyone is just doing the best that they can. And they haven't been in this situation before, even if they've been around the situation a lot. We haven't experienced it ourselves until we actually experience it. And with every birth, it's different, right? Every pregnancy is different. Every baby is different. Every birth experience is different. And so I think, you know, it's interesting because I think that there's somewhat of an unspoken expectation that women and their partners, um, but I think more so the woman as, as, you know, the person that's growing this child and giving birth kind of know what to do. Um, and that they're going to handle it and manage it. You might be tired, but you're going to figure it out. And a lot of times it takes a while to figure that out. I mean, we're getting to know the baby, our bodies are changing, our body chemistry is changing, um, our roles are changing. There's a lot of changes that are happening very quickly. And so 
when we don't know what to do, despite all the books that we've read, <laughs> right, or all the information, all the classes you've been to, information you've received, it's it feels like we should. And I, I don't know where that comes from. I think that's a cultural thing. And I think it's almost worldwide. I don't, I don't think it's specific to any particular community or culture. I think that, you know, as women, we feel like we should know what to do. Um, I think in certain cultures where, where your identity is tied into being a mother or a matriarch, I think that's much greater, perhaps. Um, so when we don't know what to do, it feels very shameful. Um, and if you add on top of that, any sort of um, psychological or physical, um, you know, changes that you, you just, you know, for example, like women who end up having cesarean sections, so they just can't move, you know, right? Their body has to heal. And it's, it feels like I should be able to get up or when you have difficulty nursing, which is very challenging for a lot of women, um, it, it feels like it's our fault, right? And so, you know, it's, it's a really interesting psychological experience that ends up happening. Um, and, and I think it's also, you know, as women, we, we do want to be able to do it, um, but we have to figure it out. And it takes a while to figure out. It's not immediate, um, as you probably, I think most of us have experienced. <laughs> we'll get there, but it's not immediate. And so there's a lot of shame around, you know, not being able to do the things that we thought we were going to be able to do or that we prepared to do. Um, right. And the babies have the minds of their own, you know? <laughs> oh, that's for, that is for sure. Like I said, I, I experienced that quite a bit. You know, I couldn't go to mom's groups. I tried a couple times. My daughter would just cry the whole time and it was just really, really challenging. So my, I, my heart really goes out to these women. What about their partners? How do you approach it? If you see signs and if you can share some of those first, and, and the women are still kind of reluctant and, and you kind of feel like, do I say this to my partner? Do I say this to my, my wife or, you know, what do you say? Yeah. I mean, I think this is where the education can be really helpful. Um, one of the things that I've witnessed a lot is, is, well, two things. I think, first of all, the partners often don't know, um, don't always know what is typical um, postpartum, right? <laughs> what is atypical, Right. Um, and and most partners want to be supportive and they're trying to be supportive and they're figuring it out. Also, this is all brand new for them as well. And so this is where I think the prevention approach or the educational approach can be really helpful in that if we can engage the partners in, hey, this is you know, this is something that can happen to me. Um, maybe the the mom has been depressed before or suffers from anxiety or any other emotional um, experiences. And it's like, these are the things that have bothered me before or that I've experienced before. This is how I dealt with them. These are the things to look out for. I, you know, some, some women know when they're starting to feel depressed, for example, um, really monitoring your mood. What is typical for me and what is atypical for me and help me recognize that. Sometimes we don't recognize it and it, we rely on somebody else to say, you know what, I know that you are tired because the baby's getting up a lot but you're actually sleeping all day, right? Um, even when the baby's awake, you're sleeping or you're falling asleep or, you know, something like that. And so I think I, I encourage women to speak to their partners about it, to have a conversation beforehand, um, just like we would have a conversation around what we want the birth experience to be like, right? So, you know, I can think of, for example, in my own experience saying, I, I want to have a natural birth, but if at any point, 
and I'm not in right, my right state of mind, um, you think that that's not a good idea, please tell me. Um, because I may not be in a position to make that decision um, at that moment. And I think for emotional difficulties, it's the same thing, you know, so this is what I'm expecting. I may not be feeling well enough. If you start to notice that I'm not really eating, I'm not really um, taking care of myself, I'm, I'm shutting down and being more quiet than normal, then that might be a sign that I need you to help me. Um, and so, you know, some of the things that, you know, that are typical immediately after the birth is, you know, what we've called baby blues um, in sort of in our culture, right? So, you know, we feel um, anxious, we feel nervous about it, we may be a little bit irritable, we may be tearful. That happens in about 80% of women, 90% of women have those experiences during the first few days after birth. That's typical. Um Fewer women um, after that then go on to experience what we might uh, what we might consider more of a depressive episode. So you know we know that when those symptoms, those experiences don't go away, when you're not sleeping, when you're not eating, when you're you know feeling really you know having a lot of negative thoughts, that that's not typical. Um, and that's when we need to really say, you know, I think something's going on here. What started off as baby blues, which is very common, has stayed. It has not gone away or it hasn't gone down. And we need to, you know, maybe talk to your doctor, think about what's going on, provide you more support. Um, I think that's definitely one place where partners can be really helpful um, as much as they can. But I think having the conversations beforehand can be really helpful. And then continuing to have those conversations while they're going through this experience together. I think support is one of the biggest things that we can do for new moms. Um, you know, whether it's, let me take this feeding, let me change this diaper. Why don't you just go sit down, even if you're not uh, sleeping, right? Just have a moment um, to be by yourself. Um, I think those things can be really helpful. But I think educating each other, the partner and the mom, about what are some of the signs and symptoms that maybe this period of time of transition is actually impacting me in a way that I might need more help. So what does the Blue Dot Project do in terms of helping these women? What are some of the resources? I know you have some fantastic blog posts and other wonderful tips to help them. What are some other things? Yeah, so there is a website if anyone is interested. Um, the website is blue theblue.project.org. Um, and if you go to that website, there's, you know, a lot of information. Um, there's uh, personal accounts of experiences that women have had. There's resources. And, and it, you know, what I think is really helpful is the information that's available there that not only helps educate um, women and anyone who's interested in learning more about uh, perinatal mood and affective disorders, but also to be able to share and find support in your community or to find support online, um, especially right now. Um, you know, coming up later this, uh, well, Saturday, May 30th, um, later this week, <laughs> I was going to say this month, but the month is almost over. I so know. This, <laughs> this week. Um, the Blue Dot often will host different fundraising um, activities throughout the year. Uh, what we're doing this year is a virtual run-walk fundraiser. So I encourage anyone who's interested in uh, looking into that to visit the website um, and perhaps create a virtual uh, Facebook page, if you like, or you know, kind of create your own campaign. Um, there is right now a, a Walk the Blue Dot Facebook group 
which has been really lovely in that some of our members have gone on there to um, provide information, let people know what they're doing, you know, for this, how they're coping. Um, I think that there's also some information on things that you can do at home in terms of um, staying healthy and staying engaged. So it's a really great resource out there. But I think, you know, for me, one of the things that I really like a lot about the website is the information that uh, is on there. Because I think one of the challenges with this and what contributes to the stigma um, is that we just don't have enough information or we don't talk about it enough. I think the information's out there, but we don't talk about it enough. And so unfortunately, a lot of times women are in some ways blindsided. Um, you know, after the birth or during their pregnancy, when they're not feeling as great as they had maybe imagined, or as the, you know, advertisements and all the campaigns suggest that you're going to feel when you have a new baby. And so I think that's, for me, one of the, the critical components of it is really how do we get this information out there? How do we reduce the stigma and really try to normalize that this is part of a lot of women's um, birthing experience and motherhood? And, you know, if we, the more we talk about it, the more we can recognize it, the more we can treat it, the more we can refer, you know, for support. And before I let you go, when did you know that you wanted to be a clinical psychologist? Wow, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> Way back in the archives of my mind. Um, you know, I think it probably was in uh, probably when I first went to college and took a psychology course. And just thought it was interesting. Um, I don't know if I knew at that point that I wanted to be a clinical psychologist, but I, I liked the idea of uh, learning about people and learning about behavior um, because it's so relatable, right? It's like, and that's how I became interested in working with depression. It's something that so many of us have had experience with, whether personally or someone we know, or even just sadness. You know, I always say everyone's been sad at some point in our lives. Um, and so I, I just really enjoyed just getting to know people and learning about people. And over the years, really have taken a lot of um, joy and humbled experiences just being able to help people um, feel better, which I think is something that we all deserve. Well, I think that's fantastic. When I was in high school, I wanted to be like a drug counselor and rehab, but then I, I was like, God, I get so like into people and I'd worry I'd be depressed all the time. That's a whole, I'd love to have you back. That's a whole nother interesting conversation, oh, sure. right? Of, like, how do you not take that on? I just always felt like, so I thought, well, if I get into public health, I can be a health educator. I could educate people. I did it for years in person. Now I've been doing it for many years uh, via the radio and television and podcasts. And I just love it. Dr. Berrera, tell us one more time uh, where we can find you and the Blue Dot Project. Yes. So the Blue Dot Project, um, you can visit the website. It's thebluedotproject.org. So T-H-E-B-L-U-E-D-O-T-P-R-O-J-E-C-T.org. Um, please go there. Um, also 2020mom.org um, is a wonderful organization if you want to get involved in um, thinking about or being a part of the campaign to reduce the disparities in maternal mental health. Um, yeah, it's a great organization. I'm one of the board members. I'm also a clinician and researcher uh, by day um, at Palo Alto University. And um, if you ha know of any pregnant women who are interested 
in learning skills, evidence-based skills on how to reduce um, the impact of maternal depression. I have a website with an online course that anyone's welcome to use, uh, pregnant women, new moms, and anyone in their social network who wants to support them or just learn about it and what they can do. And that website is emb.health. Um, it's currently available in English, and I'm working as quickly as I can to finish all this Spanish translation. So that's available as well. It's based on the Mothers and Babies course, um, which is an evidence-based prevention of postpartum depression. I just want to thank you so much. You're always welcome back, Dr. Barrera. It's been fabulous. And if people want to learn more, please check out Naturally Savvy on Twitter at Naturally Savvy, my co-host at Andrea Donsky, at Lisa Davis, MPH. And be sure to check out Andrea's wonderful new YouTube videos. They're fabulous. They're called Morphous, powered by Naturally Savvy. And they're all about women in midlife and the issues that we are going through. So thanks so much. Please also rate, review, subscribe. It really helps the show. Thank you and have a great day. On Naturally Savvy, we only take sponsors that we believe in. We know they have good quality products that are good for you. Uh, this month, we are sponsored by, I hope I say this right, uh, Wakunaga of America. They're the makers of Kyolic Aged Garlic Extract, Kylodophilus Probiotics, and Kyo Green Powdered Green Drink Mix. All naturally healthy solutions to support your well-being. Kyo means strength. You can learn more at www. Kyolic.com. That's K-Y-O-L-I-C. And now more than ever, not only do we need to strengthen our emotional health, we also need to strengthen our physical health. So, I mean, I'm a garlic fanatic, so I'm super excited. It's a great product. 